who hate me, but show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Morning, crew. We'll go ahead and uh, we're going to be in a few different scriptures. We're going to start, um, as you, you see there, in Exodus 20, verse 33 through 6. Asher just read that here, and we'll look at it here in just a second. But I, I wanted to, uh, as Mark said, I was going to give a, a few more details about the elder selection process. We're in the middle of that process, and there were some names uh, that floated to the surface. And so uh, at this point, uh, we ask the, the church just to continue to pray for that process and that, that God works and God guides and leads right now. And uh, there'll be more information coming in the next few weeks, and then we'll all, all uh, proceed together from there. Sound like a plan? All right. So there was years ago I had a missions class, and there was a book in this missions class that uh, we, was required reading, and I remember the guy's last name who wrote it because he was from India. And I'm going to ask him if I get, this, uh, get his name right. His, his, name, his last name was, was Ramakandra. Is that about right, Kim? Did I pronounce that sort of right? Okay, very good. So this guy's last name was Ramakandra. And what he did and is he wrote a book called The Gods That Fail. And the point of the book was to be a correction for Western Christianity from a person that was not from the history or not from the background of having Western Christianity. But he looked at, from India... What do we do in the West that, uh, that probably uh, is, is not scriptural without us realizing it? And what are those gods that we worship that we don't even realize we worship? And coming from his perspective in India, he talked about if you walk down the street, you see all these different Hindu gods all over the place. And it's pretty easy to tell who they are. But in the Western world, gods that Western people worship are a lot more difficult to try to figure out and put their finger on because they're a little more subtle. And so I'm going to talk about that. This week I'm going to talk about some gods that fail. Next week I'm going to talk about some gods that fail that are probably a lot closer to home for most of us. And then uh, I'm going to talk about the third Sunday, the God that will never fail us. And how do we follow that God in such a way that he, he never fails us and we never fail him? And then, in the next three weeks after that, I'm going to be in Italy. This is, uh, we tried to make it to Italy last summer to visit uh, Sylvia's folks and to be a blessing to the church there. And with COVID, we couldn't do it. So this year is the year that we're going to be, uh, going to be flying over and participating there for a little while. And um, while I'm gone, uh, Irv uh, Hinspeter is going to preach, Paul Bowles is going to preach, and then Russell Epperson from Lewistown, whom the church here supports, and that work there is going to preach one Sunday. And so that's who's going to be uh, going to be taking um, and preaching while I'm gone. And like I've told you before, I always miss all the good stuff. You know, when when I'm gone, other people preach, and there's great stuff that I have to listen to, but I don't get to participate with it here much. So you guys get to be blessed, and uh, I'm excited for you guys and what what God's going to do in that time. So let's look at some gods that fail. We'll get there in a second, but I want to back up just a little bit. And this is the passage that Asher read here just a minute ago. I'm not going to read all of it because he did a great job reading it. But as the Israelites come out of Egypt, remember there's all these different gods that they worshipped in Egypt. And as they come out of Egypt, God tells them, here's the Ten Commandments. The first one is, 
You don't have any other gods before me. They're just, there's not any others that are out there. They will always fail you. And second, because I know you'll try to do this, don't make a picture of these gods. Don't make it out of wood. Don't make it out of metals, whatever. Do not worship any other gods because they will fail you. I'm going to bring punishment when you do for a few generations, but if you follow me, the blessings are going to last a thousand generations. Just imagine how good it must be to follow me. That's what God wants them to understand. Now, we know the story of Israel as they continued to wrestle with uh, idolatry uh, throughout their history. And, um, and they would take the festivals and, and oftentimes not participate in the festivals. And the, today is, is Pentecost, by the way. Uh, this is something we can look back on as this is the great day that the Holy Spirit came, that, that God's church just started exploding all over the world. And that's something uh, I think that's a, that's a great day to remember and consider. But here back, if we take a few centuries back in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah has just got finished saying in chapter 44, think about this, one of the, probably one of the greatest uh, descriptions of how ridiculous idolatry can be is Isaiah 44. And he talks about, here's this guy that goes out into the woods and he chops down a tree with his axe. And then he fashions with this, this axe this image and he takes the pieces that aren't a part of this image and he burns them and he cooks his food on them and then the part that is that that is an image all the rest of you bow down to it and worship it and say this is my god how on earth does that make sense how can you take something that you make yourself with your hands and then bow down and worship it come on here people this doesn't work In the next chapter, this is what he says. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood who pray to gods that cannot save. There's all these gods out here that fail for them and for us, gods that cannot save. And then he skips down another verse and he says, Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. I'm the only one out there. All of these gods are going to fail you, no matter who they are, whether it's Molech or Chemosh or Baal or these other gods of the Canaanites that uh, were in that area. God is telling them, it's never worked for you. They always fail. They always let you down, but I do not. When we get into the New Testament, you would have thought, maybe, from history, that we as mankind would have got to the point where we didn't have to worry about idols anymore. We've got, we're over that, we've learned our lesson, and we're, uh, we're moving on, right? And you get a sense when you read the New Testament that the idol worship or idolatry is still there. It's just become more subtle, like it is for us. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, what Paul is talking about is all these religious rituals that you put so much effort into, these ultimately became gods that you worshipped. And it didn't work for you. So think about that. That's not, those things are not going to be things that save you. They're going to fail you eventually. Or in Colossians 3.5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So all of these things inside of us that can corrupt our flesh, those things, as Paul says here, remember, those are idolatry. Those are little idols that we put up inside of ourselves. In fact, there's a gentleman from church history years and years ago, almost 500 years ago, said, 
the heart of mankind is an idol factory, is that we have a tendency to just make idols out of whatever is around us and put that in the place of God. And so when I look around our world, there's probably a lot of idols that we worship without realizing it or we don't want to realize it. And we're going to talk about a few of those here in just a second. But there was an article I ran across this last week that the title of the article was really struck me. It said, you are probably worshiping a false god. That was the title of the article. And it went down through different things, and I included some of them and add some others here. But it had this definition here of what a false god is. A false gods are someone or something that is highly revered, followed devoutly, sacrificed for, and looked to for meaning in life and deliverance from problems that ultimately cannot save us. Think about that definition for a second. Let that soak in. Someone or something that is highly revered, followed devoutly, sacrificed for, and looked to for meaning in life and deliverance from our problems. So let's look at a few different things here in our society that are gods that fail, gods that cannot and will not save us. Here's one. Uh, beauty is one of those. There is uh, entire industries in our world that are dedicated to trying to make all of us more beautiful than we are. You know, there are magazines and there are movies and there's people that we hold up as these are beautiful people. These people are wonderful. These people have all sorts of stuff together. Man, look at how amazing and, and beautiful they are. Uh, they sell their products and we buy their products and uh, we spend all, all this time trying to look like someone else or look like someone that is, that is much more beautiful than ourselves. In the, in the meantime, what happens is we have a tendency as a people, I'm speaking in a very broad sense here, to overlook the horrible, terrible character sometimes that comes from someone that is beautiful and entitled. Now, they may have a terribly messy personal life. They may treat people terribly. But, boy, if they're beautiful, we give them a license and they go for it. And not only that, is that when we listen to... Sometimes the people that have things to say about how we should live or how politics should be or anything like that, people that are beautiful or people that are popular in our world can tweet something and a bunch of people respond, but someone who is actually in the trenches dealing with that particular issue, we don't pay any attention to whatsoever. You know, people uh, that are beautiful don't have to stay in their lane. No, they can talk about whatever. And we as people, as a nation, sometimes say, well, you know, that's okay, that's great because they're beautiful. We don't say it that way. But because they're beautiful, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this, and that's okay. But if someone is, is not so beautiful, if their body doesn't fit the type of what the, our society is, deems as beautiful, or if they're bald, you know, if they don't have hair or something like that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm joking here, I don't, but all of a sudden, uh, maybe there's little concern for what's going on inside of them and maybe the wisdom that they may have. Just think about it for a second. Can't you see that sort of thing going on around us? And so if we ask ourselves, is beauty, if a person, if, if you become the person that is most beautiful in the world in the eyes of everyone else, and you live your life and you go on being the most beautiful person in the world, is that going to provide meaning for your life or deliver you from problems? Let me hear you. Is that going to give meaning to your life or deliver you from problems? 
No, that's not gonna, it's not going to work, is it? Because sooner or later, age is going to catch up with us. And things don't work the way they're supposed to. And all of a sudden, the spotlight is on somebody else. And no wonder, the proverb says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Because it just lasts a moment, doesn't it? It's short. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In our context, what we're talking about here, for men and women, for all of us, the real beauty should be that beauty that's inside, right? That beauty that lasts for eternity. Someone who is dedicated to, to God. And that's beautiful and that's amazing. But let's not be people that look around and say, boy, I'm going to uh, go all in on this beauty thing because ultimately it's just going to leave us disappointed. Here's another God that fails. And there's part of me didn't want to talk about this one, except that the scripture does. And so I felt like, uh, yeah, I better, I better do this. When we talk about uh, human sexuality, in our society, we have all sorts of moral restraints, don't we? We uh, believe that uh, it's important to take care of the poor, generally. There's all sorts of programs in order to take care of poor people that are in tough spots. Generally, as a society, we would believe that it's wrong to steal, Right? And uh, we get upset whenever somebody steals something that is not theirs. We have um, all sorts of uh, uh, parameters for, uh, for bullying or oppression. And I think as a result of some of our history of slavery and that sort of thing, we're really sensitive to, no, we don't want to be those people that are going to be oppressing and bullying others. We're not going to do that. And we're, we really think about that and we talk about that as a society quite a bit. But here, think about this. Within our, our world... I'm not sure that there's many moral restraints at all for in our society. I'm talking about the society at large as far as our human sexuality or sexual behavior goes. And it doesn't take just a few minutes on Facebook to see that our society would tell us that we can be with whoever, whatever, whatever we decide to do, that's all right. And... I can't help but think that no wonder if uh, we have no moral restraint or very, very little moral restraint as a society, and that has become, sex has become a god up there, that our marriages are, are tough. Uh, look across our society, there's marriages being destroyed, there's rampant pornography addiction, there's STDs that run rampant, there's all sorts of unplanned pregnancies, and instead of when those unplanned pregnancies come up, The dominant voice is, well, just remove that unborn pregnancy through abortion instead of maybe I shouldn't have been participating in this activity. Think about that. Is we would rather just sweep the problem under the rug instead of seeing what God has to say about it. And I'm speaking very generally as a people, as a society. And so if we look at this, is deciding as a society that anyone can be with whoever they want and there's no parameters on sexual behavior. Has that been something that has provided meaning to our life or has delivered us from problems? It hasn't worked for us, has it? And uh, you look at the scriptures here that, that are shared. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. That's the way things are supposed to function. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And when we worship and put sexual relationships up here on a pedestal as this is God and this is, you know, this is what we need to pursue, we're going to find ourselves dealing with a God that is false and it's going to bring destruction on us. Now, that's what we see in the society around us. 
Some to consider. Will this provide meaning to life and deliver us from problems? It's a false god. It's a god that's going to fail us. Here's another one. Uh, substances. Now, there's all sorts of substances, and we spend uh, most of our time talking about uh, hard drugs that can be really destructive. We see those in our society. We've got those billboards that are up there that talk about the meth project and how dangerous that is and how important it is to steer clear of those things. And we have treatment centers to try to deal with those. Uh, alcohol abuse, tobacco abuse. We can get even, even uh, with food. Food, there's, we can medicate ourselves with, whenever, with food. Whenever I start feeling bad, whenever I feel empty, what am I going to do instead of filling myself up with God? I'm going to eat whatever I can get my hands on. And all of those things, ultimately, will filling ourselves with substances, will that ultimately provide meaning to life and deliver us from our problems? What do you think? Has it worked so far? It's not working, is it? It's not working. This is another one of those gods that fail. And what Paul tells us is, do not get drunk on wine. Don't fill yourself up with that, which leads to debauchery, which is lack of moral restraint. We're trying to fill ourselves up with the wrong stuff. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Fill yourself with God's Spirit instead of the substances. And what happens is, and he continues to talk about this, the great, tremendous spiritual fruit that comes pouring out of us. And so substances don't provide meaning to life, and they don't deliver us from our problems. Here's another guy. Uh, that fails uh, science and science by definition is just wisdom or knowledge okay we tend to um, to refer to it specifically like with the scientific method and that but science is great I have I was never very good at science when I was in school but I appreciate so much of what is accomplished think about this all this technology that we have right now people are watching they can't be here today that are watching because of the technology that we have all the medicine that is available to us now because of technology and because of science and the scientific process. It's amazing. All the engineering, just the fact that this building stands up, the engineering that is there. I know I've talked with Coulter Roscos, who's a, a structural engineer, about some of the intricacies that, that go into creating buildings way above my pay grade. But I'm thankful for it, all the science that is behind all of that. But ultimately, science is great, but it's limited in some way. And if we put it in the place of God, something we're going to start realizing is it's going to leave us high and dry. Because if you go back and you read through the history of science, does science change as different discoveries come online? Yes, it continues to change because we as people are continually learning more about this creation that God has given us. And it changes. Or sometimes science can be... Uh, can be uh, can be twisted because someone who is presenting the evidence has an agenda and wants to get some point across that, is not a, that, that isn't pure science and isn't accurate. Or something else that science does is it can really magnify our own shortcomings. Now, I, as you guys know, I read quite a bit and read a lot of history. You think about what happened during World War I and World War II is so much technology was put to use in order to make a bomb that was bigger, that could do more damage, that could create more and more havoc. And so what it did, or what it continues to do at times, is 
it, can, it magnifies our own shortcomings, our desire to self-destruct. And in fact, if you look at, at history, one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. I think I saw that quote the other day, and I think that's probably pretty true. You look at Scripture all the way through, is that we as people have a tendency to self-destruct and blow each other up. And when we do that, what technology does and what science does is just makes the boom bigger and the problem that much bigger. And so does science ultimately, like Star Trek would have us believe, solve all of our problems where we live in a state of future bliss where we don't have any money and there's medicine to heal everybody? Is that a reality? It's not a reality. Science can be great. It can be really helpful for us. But it cannot provide ultimate meaning to life or solve all of our problems. It can't do it. And it never will do it. That's as um, Hebrews 11, verse 3 says here, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And ultimately, somewhere, we have to go back a step further than science does. And science says, here's what we can observe and here's what we can see. But it doesn't tell us where everything came from that we can observe and see. And Christians take one step further back and say, by faith we believe that God created everything that we can see out of something that was nothing. And that gives us some meaning, and that gives us some purpose, and that gives us some solutions. Okay, Here's another one, gods that fail. Steve Bachmeyer uh, taught this morning in the adult Bible class. Uh, we're going through Romans, and he taught through Romans chapter 13, which talks about uh, obeying the authorities and obeying the government. And you could tell that, and Steve's a wonderful heart, he said, I have to wrestle with this because there's parts of this that I don't like and there's parts of this that I would just rather rebel against the government. But this is what it says, and so I have to deal with it as a Christian. And I appreciated his perspective there. And I think about our nation. I was born here. I, I love it here. I've lived overseas, and I've come back. And um, there is, we have a great history, phenomenal history as a nation. We have... Uh, some great godly principles that are uh, that were written into our constitution. We have some amazing leaders that have walked uh, before us in our country that have done uh, amazing things. Uh, there's a there's a lot of great good. Like I talked about, we're a country that is full of programs that help one another. We have an infrastructure that's amazing. This interstate system that runs right by. We can get from one place in the country to somewhere else, just hopping in our car and driving. It's amazing what we can do. We spent, um, my family and I spent the last couple of days in Billings at the divisional track meet. And it was so easy just jumping in the car and driving over the hill and getting there. When Dan Morgan was little, he had to take a, a wagon all the way to Billings when he went there. Right, Dan? He had, to, he had to drive his wagon all the way there. And it'd take six days. Right, Dan? Something like that? Yeah. And that interstate system makes it so easy. It's so smooth. It's wonderful things that our country has done with infrastructure. We have bridges. We have created more wealth in this country to pull people out of poverty than maybe any other country in history. It's phenomenal what, uh, what has been accomplished. We can look at um, the freedoms that we have and all of that sort of thing. But if we're honest and we say, hey, time out. I'm going to talk about things from a spiritual perspective. And we all know that our country has corruption under the surface. And there's a lot of things historically, like slavery that I mentioned earlier, things that are really shameful in our past and in our current situation in our country. It's not like 
Uh, even when God did come and say, Israel, you're going to be my people. I'm going to show you exactly how you're supposed to be. Boy, they were a mess, and uh, so are we, if we're honest. And if we ask ourselves, will our nation provide true meaning to life and deliver us from all of our problems? The answer is no. It's not going to happen. Because someday things, as, as Job says here, and you have to be careful with Job because Job's speaking out of hurt, and not everything that Job says is correct. In fact, that's why God corrects him towards the end of the book there. But this rings true to me. He says he makes nations great, he destroys them, he enlarges nations, and he disperses them. And from the time that Job spoke this to our time now, there have been dozens and maybe many, many more superpowers that have come and gone. And God used evil nations to destroy one or less evil, all that sort of thing that we see in the prophets. But ultimately, what the Israelites got themselves in trouble with is saying, our nation is awesome and we have nothing to be self-reflective about. And God says, wrong. That's not how it works. Because your nation cannot bring true meaning to life and can't deliver you from the real stuff out there. It's impossible. It doesn't work. Here's another one. Uh, gods that fail. Another one is money. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't like this scripture. How many of you don't like this scripture, right? Okay. There's a, none of you raised your hand. All lying, or at least some of you are, right? No. Or maybe you're just way more spiritual than myself. That's very possible as well. Anyway, the point being is here, we have all sorts of things that money represents. It represents power, it represents influence, it represents opportunity, it represents security, all those sort of things. And maybe there's no other situation where more corruption comes to the surface as when we as people have to make decisions about money. And if that becomes our dominant influence in decision-making, then corruption just runs rampant. And I'm not only talking about corruption that is doing things that are illegal, okay, which is rampant in our world, but I'm talking about from a Christian and godly perspective is that if we put our hope and our effort into always trying to make decisions to just get ahead a little bit, to just have a little bit more in our pocket, to try to have all that much more security, and that is what guides us, then ultimately we're going to invest a whole lot in things that are just going to burn up and rot away anyway. That's what's going to happen. And God is sitting there saying, don't do it. That God will fail you. And we don't have to look around very far in our valley that uh, there's a great disparity in our valley between the haves and the have-nots. Now, there's um, many that work hard and barely make it, and there's we go up the Gallatin River up to Big Sky and the, the Yellowstone Club. There's people that could, um, that could give 90% of their finances away and make huge difference in the lives of people, and you know, they would never miss it sort of thing. Big disparity. And the question we ask ourselves is, the people that have a lot in this life, do they have more meaning and fewer problems than the rest of us? <laughs> we know the stories, right? That's not how this works. Because money is a false god that can never provide meaning or deliver us from problems. And that's why God tells us this. This is why Jesus shares this. It's not going to work. It's a God that will always fail you. There's many, many others that we could share. We could share sports. We could share any number of gods that are, are in, in our society that ultimately are going to lead us uh, high and dry because they are gods that will fail us. Now, 
Well, that being the case, there is a God out there, and that's why we're here, as a God that will never fail us. Now, I'm going to, if you look at the scripture up here, it's an amazing scripture, and I'm going to give a little bit of background to it. Jeremiah lived in a time where people pursued beauty at all costs. They pursued the, uh, the idea of, of human sexuality is I'm not going to do what God tells me. I'm going to uh, just act on my impulses. I'm going to do what I want. There are people that uh, Scripture talks about abused alcohol and abused different substances. And the dominating uh, theories of the day, they pursued those instead of what God had to say. They uh, believed in their country, saying, God has established us and we have nothing to be uh, worried about because we are the people of God and everybody else is out there somewhere. Poor them because look at what we've got. And they abused money. They uh, hoarded it for themselves and didn't take care of the poor. The same things we've been talking about. And it continued and continued and continued, worshiping these false gods. And ultimately what happened is they came face to face realizing this isn't working. If you read through the book of Jeremiah, I know last summer the uh, adult class was on the book of Jeremiah. What happens is the people still don't get it. A few do, but most of them just get angry and their hearts get harder and they continue to pursue and worship these gods. And at one point in time, they take Jeremiah captive and say, Jeremiah, we know that you're telling us that we can't worship these other gods and that's why we're in this situation. That's why we're getting sold into slavery and that's why all this is happening. But we want you to know, Jeremiah, that we don't care. We don't care what you have to say, and we are going to worship these other gods, and we are going to bow down to them, and we don't care anymore. And man, just the heartbreak that Jeremiah must feel as God has called him to call these people back to him, and they're just unwilling to listen. But in all of this, Jeremiah says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in the middle of all of this, of a people that worship gods that would ultimately fail, Jeremiah was able to say, that may be the case. There may be many people out there worshiping these foreign gods. But I know that those who can see beyond what they can touch who are willing to say, no, the God that created the world is the God that I will serve, then what's going to happen is they're going to realize that his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. And this is a God that will never fail them. Now next week we're going to get a little closer to home. We'll talk about some of what Scripture talks about, religious ritual and some of those things that can fail us. Uh, I think it hits pretty close to home for all of us. And uh, then a week after that, I'm going to draw a picture of what does it look to be someone who worships a God that will not fail. And it's important to remind reminded of those things. So if you'd like to become a Christian, you're welcome to come forward. Let's stand and sing together. And in the meantime, I would encourage you this week, if there's a God up here that you are worshiping, see it for what it is and say, I will not be one who puts my efforts into that God anymore because I know that God will ultimately fail me, and I'm going to put more efforts and more of my heart into the God that will never fail me and will never leave me high and dry. Let's stand and sing together.